So when I was about 25 years old, I got uh, unexpectedly invited to go and help run a company in the car industry in the UK. Now, I had been to business school. I had started a couple of little companies of my own. Uh, I'd also done some work pioneering for churches. But if I'm really honest, I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself in for. Because this business was not the kind of businesses I was used to, where like business school grads got together and drank nice coffee and sat in front of a whiteboard with their laptops and came up with big ideas. This was the kind of business which was like gritty and tough. It was a blue collar business in the port of Southampton, which is very much like the port of Long Beach. It was about truck drivers and shipping containers, car transporters, porter cabin, car dealers. Like this was the full thing. And I was the youngest person in that organization by a very long way. It was also 2008, which was about the worst year to be involved in any sort of business whatsoever. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. On Monday mornings, I would drive down from my home. It was about 30 minutes down to the dockside. And I would play cars all week. We would do deals. We would make stuff happen. We would entrepreneur new businesses. Like I was like in my element, like Ben the business guy. The only thing was that that was really, if I'm honest, only ever half my life. Because Ben at the weekend was a very different person. During the week, I was like this hard-nosed business guy who was trying to make a name in the car industry. And at the weekend, I was Ben the Christian. I was married to the kids' pastor. I knew how to sing the right songs. I knew how to put my arms up in worship. Even though I'd like, had a pretty rough time, honestly, in church for a while and had felt a little bit hurt along the way. Like, I love Jesus. I love him. And so I would get together with my buddies and we would sing. And occasionally we would cry at the goodness of God. We would get together and we would pray these huge prayers and we would watch as God broke out and did things. We would share lives deeply together. But on Monday morning, like I'd be back in the business and in all honesty, words like love and integrity and mercy and grace, these were not words for the car industry at all. Like this was more about like, what do you need to do to get through this week? Like I'd hear the stories of what other people did with their weekends which were quite wild sometimes. And I would never share the story of what I did at my weekend because I thought I'd probably get beaten up if anything else. Like it was different. And week after week, though, I'd go backwards and forwards, one person to the other person. When I was back in church, it didn't seem to help very much with my business life. The, The message I just kept getting told was like, If you do your job really well in business, then one day all of the people in your business will come to church. And if you do your job really well in your business, then one day you might actually get out of that heathen mess and become a full-time pastor where you can be really called. And honestly, it sounded terrible. And I loved being in business, but I didn't know. I didn't know. Didn't know how to talk about Jesus in my workplace. And I had no idea how to share the challenges that I was facing in my church. It was like being two completely separate people. In fact, it's probably a little bit like this diagram that you can see up on the screen. Like a big, solid, dividing line between the world of church and the world of work. In my world, there were 30 minutes separating them, but there might as well have been two lifetimes. Like, there were two different realities. Now, maybe I'm the only person in the room who's ever felt like that. 
Maybe I'm the only person who has ever felt that, like almost division between two realities. But I have the sneaking suspicion, having spoken to some of you, that maybe you feel it too, that you feel that division. Now, when I say work, I want to draw a big boundary around it. When I say work, I mean the rest of our lives. The things we do on Mondays, whether we parent, whether we teach, whether we're volunteers or retired, whether we study, whether we sit on Zoom calls, whether we're on dockside, whether we're unemployed, basically mean wherever it is you are on Monday morning. And maybe you feel the pull. Maybe you feel that division of having to be two different people. How do we live responsibly and well as followers of Jesus in the midst of sometimes very difficult, complicated situations? How do we speak about love and truth even when the world is going through all that it's going through where there's so much challenge, so so much insecurity, so much family breakdown? How do we bring something to bear that's good? Well, um, over the next six weeks, I want to discuss with you, explore a very simple idea, and it's literally this, that what if God has a purpose for your whole week? What if God has a purpose for Monday morning, and a purpose for Friday evening, and a purpose for Wednesday afternoon? What if you're not called to be two different people, but actually God has made you to be one person, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you do to make all the difference in the world around you? What if you are where you are for a purpose? And so today, I just want to set the scene for you. We're going to launch into some big ideas. And then over the weeks to come, I'm going to pull on some different voices, people who work, volunteer, live in many different spaces across LA, who have had to wrestle with what it means to be a kingdom person in different, uh, different places. Um, but we're going to launch in today, and we're going to look at, at 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, um, we're going to read just the very first two verses of 1 Peter um, chapter 1 together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is uh, Peter. Peter, if you've ever read the New Testament, like one of Jesus' first followers, the guy who was a fisherman who God called to become a fisher of men, who famously denied Jesus and then later on was brought back into fellowship and became the rock in which the whole global church ended up being built. And, and if you notice in Peter's little greeting to the early church, he uses these two interesting words to describe them. The first word he uses is he uses the word elect. Now, depending on your church tradition and your background and where you come from, the word elect can be quite a baggagey, kind of complicated word. Who is elect? How do you get elected? Is it before you are born? Is it after you are born? Do you have an Arminian perspective? Do you have a Calvinist perspective? Uh, do you believe in predestination, double predestination, double double predestination with fries on the side? Like, what, what are you supposed to believe? Now, 
that is a topic for another day, uh, and you're welcome to buy a beer for the person sitting next to you and go and talk about it uh, later on today, or go on Alpha, where it's one of the topics of discussion. But when Peter describes these first followers as elect, he isn't saying how they became elect, but he is describing a subset within the overall wider population of God's chosen people. People brought into the family of God, not by their religious background, not because they grew up in the right place or spoke the right language, but because of faith in Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness of sins, because of a relationship with Jesus, who are set aside for this eternal future with him. For one of another word, he literally means Christians, those who have given their life to Christ. But the word elect there really is, is very much used in the context of family. Now, I don't know what your relationship with your family is like. Some of us love our families dearly. Some of us have a little bit more complicated relationships. But when what Peter is describing here is the gathering, the coming together of a group of people to, to be together, to worship, to encourage, to pray, to support people who love Jesus. Now, of course, in Pasadena, San Gabriel Valley, across LA and the world this morning, that's exactly what still happens today. Christians gathering in homes, in schools, in big old buildings like this one, in auditoriums, in stadiums, to gather, to be together, to worship. When you look at like the early church in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God comes upon them, you see this group of people in homes, you see them in public spaces, you see them sometimes like living life out publicly free, and other times you see them persecuted and having to live underground secret lives, but all the time prioritizing this place of togetherness. Now, I don't want to repeat everything I said last week, you can listen to that one back if you want to, but maybe if you're like me and you grew up going to church, maybe you have some fond memories, um, I certainly do of those moments of being together with other Christians. I think about like times of, of amazing worship in great big venues of encountering the presence of God. I think about times of prayer, of just gathering with people and seeing God do incredible things. I think even about like being in, in my home and meeting with other Christians and sharing honestly life's huge challenging challenges and watching as God meets me. Like there's something about it, isn't there, where we come together and God does something. The writer to the Hebrews, in fact, like addresses it really directly to the early church when he says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Encourage one another as you wait for Jesus' return. Something about it seems to matter. But let's be honest, this is not a picture of like a holy huddle, a group of people who hide from the world, who sit in a little corner somewhere, hoping that they will be safe and protected. It's actually much bigger than that. And the word elect is actually a word that would have immediately translated to something that comes from the Old Testament. It's a word that actually would have originally applied to Abraham. If you know Abraham, guy who's like the father of the Jewish people and then de facto in some ways the father of the Christian people. And Abraham is called by God, elected by God. 
And in Genesis chapter 12, this is what God actually says to Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Do you see, like the calling on Abraham's life is not a calling to a holy huddle. In fact, God says, I will call you out and elect you so that you will bless the world. You will be a blessing through the whole world through you. And that same calling applies to us as Christians today. If you look at the early church, they were a community who were blessed to be a blessing. Like if you look at church history, you will see how the early church were the very people who transformed the world around them. That they did it in very supernatural ways, but they also did it in incredibly practical ones. They started the first hospitals and schools and orphanages. They stuck and loved people in practical ways where nobody else would. Even today, if you look at the data, even in our nation here, like you will see that the Christ- Christians are still the biggest source of financial giving in the U.S., still the biggest source of volunteering in the U.S. too. Like there's a call, a call on the Christian community to be more than a holy huddle, but a blessing, a blessing to those around. But we do do it out of a, a place of gathering often, don't we? Maybe like this picture on the screen, this uh, is often what it can feel like. This morning, here in Pasadena, there will be little groups of red dots, red dots in Pasadena, red dots across the city, red dots across the world who will choose to be together. But that picture, I think, is a little bit less than God's great intention for the church. Because actually, the second word Peter uses is he uses the word exiles. And exiles is also a word that would have immediately drawn their attention to the Old Testament, It would have drawn their attention to the time when God's people, the Israelites, were scattered. They'd spent like millennia getting to the promised land, to the place where they could be safe, where they could be comfortable, where the place they could be blessed in a geographic space. And through complicated reasons, and most of it their own doing, they find themselves under the Babylonian Empire being dispersed all the way throughout the region. They no longer had a geographic place. And they longed for it. Like they longed to get back to it. They even had these like false prophets who would say to them, don't worry, guys, you're going to get back to your holy huddle soon. <laughs> like, don't worry, you'll get back to your people. You'll get back to your place. But the real, the real prophets, the ones like Jeremiah, actually told a different story. And in Jeremiah 29, you might know this bit, the prophet Jeremiah actually says to the people like, you actually need to stop longing for the holy huddle. You actually have to stop longing for this safe, secret place to be together. In fact, settle down where you are. Have children. Plant crops. Start businesses. Look for the flourishing. Look for the prosperity of the place where you are. Because as you look for the prosperity of the place where you are, you will win just as they will win. And that picture of scatteredness, that picture of being in different places and different times is again exactly what the early church faced. 
Like when the, the Holy Spirit came, there's like, I guess a part of them maybe where they thought, well, cool, now we can start a mega church in Jerusalem and we've done it. Like that's the goal, right? Mega church. And yet what happens is the Holy Spirit scatters the church. Like it scatters them all the way across the world. And what Peter writes to them, this is exact word he uses. He says to them, you guys, you are exiles. You are scattered people throughout the world. Maybe like this picture of these scattered dots on a screen. Maybe this is more how we feel. Maybe this is more what Monday to Friday looks like for you. Not surrounded by nice Christian community, but out in a world of all sorts of different beliefs, cultures, backgrounds, views on God. But what Peter's actually doing is is he's opening up this possibility of like a primary and a second calling. Now, I know this is a bit big concepts for a Sunday morning, but just stay with me in a minute. You see, when, when Jesus calls you, he called me, the primary calling that he put on your life was a calling to himself, right? The first calling, Jesus said to Peter, come follow me. The first calling that any of us ever receive is always to a relationship with Jesus. But there's also this idea of a secondary calling. Jesus said to Peter, actually, Peter, leave behind that, come with me and become a fisher of men. There's like a calling to purpose. There's a calling to time. There's a calling to space. And it's a calling that actually repeats itself all the way through the Bible. The word that we might know better is that word ambassador. I always think of James Bond and like glasses of martini when I think of ambassadors. But I know I've told you this before, but the word that we're often described like in scripture is this idea of being an ambassador for Christ. Now, of course, as well as being very suave and sophisticated and speaking the local language, as well as maybe enjoying the local culture and hosting great parties, what ambassadors are really in a country, in a place, in a kingdom for is that they speak different values. They are there on behalf of a different kingdom. They're there as representatives. When, when Paul describes this in the New Testament, he actually says, like, you are ambassadors for Christ in the world. That you and I like, have a role to play somewhere to represent him, represent him where we are. Another word, the word missionary. Now we might, I don't know if you like that word. Some people would love it. Others of us have pictures of people in sandals going to far off places and sometimes being culturally inappropriate and colonizing nations, which is not good. But, but the word missionary, which is in the New Testament, as Ellen Goldwhite says, is actually the call to we all have. Ellen Goldwhite says, every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. Like every one of us, we are all ambassadors. We're all missionaries. We're all exiles. Now we might not be called to go to foreign lands. We might not be called called to wear sandals. We might not all be called to cross international borders, but we are all called to be representatives of Christ in a time in a space, to be part of God's mission, 
God's mission in the world. Now, if, if I've managed to hold your attention through that complicated bit of maneuvering, then maybe we should just take a moment to try and think about what it is that God wants to do. Because if God wants to include us, if God wants to include you in his story, then we should probably try and figure out a little bit about the kind of things that God wants to actually help happen in the worlds we live. Now, when Christians have looked at this historically, we've tended to go to one exact place. And it's a good place, but it might not be the only place. And the place we've always gone to is, is about the saving work of Jesus in a personal relationship. Now, please don't leave. We absolutely believe. We absolutely believe that the biggest human need that every human being has, by far, by country mile, is a personal relationship. The biggest human need I have is the forgiveness of my sins, to have a relationship with my creator, and to have my eternity secure. Amen, right? We can agree on that. But could it be possible that God has more in mind for us than just what you might call lifeboat theology. Now, lifeboat theology, if you think about great films like the Titanic, lifeboat theology basically says the world is going down. It's going down, guys. It's all bad. There's nothing to be saved. You won't get to take anything with you. So it doesn't matter what you do, but just get a seat on the lifeboat. Just get a seat. Do whatever you want, because if you've got a seat on the lifeboat, when the world goes down, you will survive into the future and get to a better reality. Now, there's some truth in it, but is that exactly what God means when he talks about earth and heaven? Is it really just that one is really bad and going to perish and die, and that we will get to a better one in future? Well, not every theologian agrees. In fact, maybe the greatest theological mind, I think, on the planet today, N.T. Wright, he says it like this. He says, the transition from the present world to the new one will be a matter not of destruction of the present space-time universe, but of its radical healing. Radical healing. Another great mind, C.S. Lewis. He says, the old field of space, time, and matter, and the senses, is to be weeded, dug, sown for a new crop. We might be tired of the old field. God is not. We live amidst all the inconvenience, the hopes, and the excitement of a house that is being rebuilt. Sometimes it's being pulled down, and something is going up in its place that God has already started the rebuilding project. That God has already started the reconstruction project. That God is about restoring all things. Now, it's a big idea that you might want to discuss in your community group this week. But it blows apart like the idea that we can be irresponsible and do whatever we want because we're going to heaven one day and nothing else matters. Because what it basically says is that even though we won't see the end of the story until Jesus returns, the story has begun. God is about making all things new. 
And, and that's a pretty big idea. It's a lot of things that God is about. Is he about the restore, restoration of relationships, humans and himself? Yes. Is he about the forgiveness of sins? Yes. But he's also about everything else that's broken too. And in Genesis chapter 3, a lot got broken. He's about all that is evil, restoring it and ridding the world of evil. He's about fixing broken relationships. He's about the, the very creation and the very ground that has a brokenness. He's about the brokenness in family life and education and legal systems and culture and politics and work. In fact, there's no atom, there's no molecule, there's no person on the earth who God doesn't say, that is mine and I want to fix it. That is mine and I want to restore it. That is mine and it's not as it's originally intended to be and so I want to bring it to its fullness and the completion of what I designed. There may be, like here's a better picture of the dots, that, that maybe rather as Christians, like our call is actually to make a difference by being part of God's recreation story. To be the creators, the co-creators of the very things God wants to do. I mean, just think about it for your life a minute. Like, what if, assuming you're actually open to God leading you, what if the place where you will be tomorrow is actually part of God's plan for recreating humanity? That's a big idea if you're on your way to Trader Joe's in the morning. Like, what if God's plan is to recreate something of family life and parenting through you? or culture, or art, or retail, or science, or technology, business, education, your neighborhood, your sports team, the online spaces, including Zoom. Like, what if God is about recreating all things for his kingdom? And what if you're part of it? What if you matter? What if being filled with his Holy Spirit means that you have something to do tomorrow that will see something change in the kingdom? I want to suggest to you and we'll talk about it a lot more in detail the next few weeks, that there might just be a radical call on your life to make a difference outside of these four walls. I want to maybe suggest to you that I do not have a higher calling on my life because I work inside a church than you do. It might just be that I know a little bit more about the calling I have than you do yet, but that your calling is as valid, as important, and as life-transforming as mine is. You matter, because God made you, and he's got a purpose for you. We are called to be creating and recreating and co-creating of the kingdom. We pray it, don't we, every week? God, your kingdom come. God, would your kingdom come? God, would your kingdom come here? God, would your kingdom come now on earth as it already is in heaven? Paid or not, parenting, retired, studying, working, socializing, we are part of God's story of recreation. Have you ever thought about this idea? Have you ever thought about the idea that Jesus spent three years like as a full-time rabbi? And he spent probably a couple of decades doing something else as an adult. Anyone know what he spent the rest of his time doing? It's not a trick question. He was a carpenter, right? In fact, when Jesus in Mark chapter 6, he goes back to his hometown. Do you know what they go of him? Like... He can't be the son of God. He's a carpenter. He's a carpenter. 
He's known for his skill at creating. Now, you can talk in your community groups about why you think Jesus spent two decades as a carpenter. I think that's mind-blowing. Like, there's something about being a carpenter that matters. Something about working with your hands and creating beautiful things and designing things, that seems to matter. Like, if Jesus, God himself, would bother to do it, then there must be something important about it. Now, I do want to just set our expectations correctly, though. I'm not offering you a utopian vision for the future. I'm not telling you, if we get our act together as Christians and do it all right, that everyone will become a Christian, all evil will be read, and that everything will be perfect. Not yet. The great theologian Belinda Carlisle was not correct. (laughs) Heaven is not a place on earth. Like Everyone under 30 were like, no, I got nothing. Literally nothing. Everyone else was like, I got you, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. Right. When people built this church, one of the mistakes they made is that they genuinely thought by 1950 everyone would be a Christian, which is why this church is as big as it is. Like, honestly, we're not going to get there until Jesus returns. This is what Hebrews 11 even tells us. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the full things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. We're not going to get to the end of the story in our lifetimes unless Jesus comes back before we die. But we are part of the story. Something about all this actually matters. And we're going to have to take a long view, most of us. James Hudson Taylor, he's the famous missionary to China, He says there are three indispensable requirements for being a missionary. Patience, patience, and patience. It's going to take some time. But I want to suggest that there is a stunning truth at the heart of it, which is that God has something for your life. You are where you are without accident. What took me a long time to realize that the company I ran, Automove, it didn't happen overnight, but was that actually God wanted to do something through it that actually the call on my life was not to be a business dude and then a Christian, but it was actually to be one person. That actually what God wanted to do with our little gritty company in the car industry was he actually wanted to make it an outpost of the kingdom of God. And it didn't happen overnight, but I can tell you over a couple of years, faith became not a swear word, but actually became a topic of conversation. And I can tell you that I made so many mistakes and I messed it up so many times and I succumbed to all the culture of the car industry over and over. But I can also tell you that people got healed in the workplace, that people wanted to get prayer for things, that people did come to faith eventually over a long period of time. But I can also tell you that staff got treated properly and they got paid properly and they got, digni- they got treated with dignity when they couldn't work there anymore. And I can tell you that customers were were treated properly and looked at not as just like dollar signs, but actually of having a long-term relationship. And that we looked at like the environment and creation and thought we need to do something positive here. And we weren't perfect and we messed it up most days, but, but I can tell you that there was something about that little company which had God's hand all over it. And we all knew it by the end. This is a testimony and not a prophecy that actually God blessed it. I mean, we access contracts and customers that we should have had nothing to do with. 
And God kept pouring resources in and, and the business grew and grew and grew until it was finally time to pass it to someone else. Like, there was something of God's hand in it. And I discovered I wasn't called to be two different people. That actually the things that the business needed to thrive were actually the same things that we were talking about on Sunday. The integrity and honesty and truth and love. They were actually the things that were meant to be there to help the company become what it was called to be. And so I don't, I don't know where you are going to be tomorrow. I don't know. I don't know if you'll be online or in person. I don't know if you'll be at home or out, standing in the line at the local grocery store, dropping your kids off at school. I don't know. But I do know because Peter names it in verse 1 and 2, that your situations are known by God. He knows you. You aren't going to fall into a theological black hole when you go out the door and then come back in next week. I know that the Holy Spirit is working in your life and that you can be confident of his power and his presence if you invite him in. I know that he has a relationship for you and wants to have a relationship with you and maybe you've never experienced that relationship and if not, this morning is a great time to start one. But actually what I want to leave you with is this idea that gathered and scattered, it might be all part of God's story. Maybe you can have this last diagram on the screen. That actually we might be actually not called to be two separate people, but the same person. That maybe like Jesus is actually everywhere. Maybe there are no God forsaken places. Maybe there are Christian forsaken places, lots of them. Where Christians have gone, I'm so sorry, that's way too dirty, way too evil, I couldn't possibly go there. But maybe Jesus is already there. Maybe like the cycle that we're called into is actually to be gathered on Sundays, to be filled, to be healed, to be blessed, to be served, to be fed donuts, and to go. And to go to go to make a difference on Monday morning, wherever we're going to be, and then to return into our community groups halfway through the week when we're like, oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe what's just happened in my week. It's been terrible. Can you pray for me? And we could pray together. And then on Thursday to go back out to, our, go back out to the places we're called, and then on the next day to come back for quiet times to be filled with his Holy Spirit, and then the next day to go out, and then the next day, and you see this like onward cycle, gathered and scattered, called, sent, filled, serving to make a difference in the world around us, full of the Holy Spirit, full of his kingdom, full of his goodness, and full of his truth. Is that okay? Amen. So let's talk about it. Let's spend the next five weeks delving into some discussion about what that's going to look like. But for now, would you um, like to stand wherever you are? And I'd love to pray for us.